We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. We're going to be looking at uh, the second to last message in this series. Uh, we're going to be talking about praying and remaining alert. Praying and remaining alert. Uh, if you would, stand with one last time as we go to the word of the Lord together. Ephesians chapter 6. Parents, as a reminder, Connect Kids will be opening back up next Sunday. And so uh, we'll have our kids ministry back up and going next Sunday as well. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 18, it says this, Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Amen. This is God's words for God's people. Amen. You have a seat. You know, when I was a child, I remember uh, going to church with uh, one of my friend's uh, parents. And I remember uh, a particular Sunday, uh, was a, a, I think it was a Sunday school kind of thing, and they were talking about prayer. And so I was fascinated, kind of infatuated with the idea of praying. And I remember asking my friend's mom while we're in her van, um, you know, and I'm, i got to be, I don't know, seven or eight years old. And I said, well, if God can hear you when you, you pray, can he hear me if I lay down and pray? Uh, can he hear me if I'm upside down? Can he hear me if I'm this or that? And I had all these very childlike questions. But the reality is, is that God does hear us no matter how we pray. God hears us when we're uh, up in 30,000 feet in the airplane or if we're sitting right here right now. God hears his people when they cry out to him. In fact, the Lord calls his kingdom people to pray. God calls his kingdom people to make prayer a priority. In fact, if you go on our website, you can see what are some of our core values here at Connect Church. And one of our values is to be a people who are committed to prayer, to be a prayerful people, not only just as we gather together corporately, but also individually as well. In fact, Thomas Goodwin said this, he said, when you pray, you can literally go to God and say what's on your heart and claim his promise. We can stand before the Lord and say, God, this is what is on my heart. And Lord, what you've promised in your word, Lord, that's what I'm standing on. We don't make demands of God by no means. But we go to the Lord. We cast our burdens on him. And we pray knowing that God hears us and gives us strength. In fact, as we read Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, we'll see in the text that when he comes to prayer, he doesn't use armor as an illustration. He doesn't have armor being used as an illustration as all, at all. But when it comes to prayer, what we see here is prayer is the thing that undergirds the believer in the unseen war that we're facing. The unseen war we find ourselves in. In fact, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And the disciples actually desired to pray. One of the marks of a born-again, spirit-filled believer is a desire to pray. You have this desire to, to pray at, at times when things are good, at times when things are bad. You have a desire to pray and go to the Lord. In fact, when we find ourselves in the book of Acts, we would see that any time that believers were facing persecution... Anytime they were up against the wall or people were coming against them, they found themselves doing this in prayer. In Acts chapter 2, before uh, the Spirit of God fell upon the believers, they were found praying. When Peter was in prison, they were found praying. 
when things are going wrong, they didn't know what to do. They were found praying. We are called to be a prayerful people. But if we have a prayer meeting, it is only a few people. Well, why is that? Well, because for many of us, prayer gets relegated down to the lower echelon of the Christian walk. For many of us, it's other things that are at the higher level, such as spiritual gifts and, and all these different things. Why? Because those things are very boastful. You can see those things. But prayer is the humbling of ourselves before the Lord. Prayer should be, as one of my mentors says, that sinner spoke of that wheel that really keeps everything churning and going in our lives and in the ministry that God has called us to. Prayer is the tool at our disposal in our relationship with the Lord. In fact, it's the most easily accessible. You can pray at all times. You can pray when you're here, when you're there, when you're everywhere. But it's often the most least utilized. In fact, it's never a waste of time to pray. It's never a waste of time to pray. Anytime you say, hey, we're going to pray, you're not wasting your time. If you pause and say, we're going to pray. In fact, on my way over here this morning, I was with my oldest son and I said, let's pray. We're in the car. We do that often. Let's pray. Stuff is going crazy. Let's pray. You say, well, that's just a cop-out. No, you're just missing that you're appealing to the God of the universe. So it's never a cop-out at all. You're humbling yourself before the Lord God Almighty. So in the spiritual battle we face, prayer is our direct line to the resource of hope we need and the strength of our hearts in the weary battle that we face. Prayer changes us. It changes our hearts. It changes our minds. It changes how we engage with the things around us. So here's our first point. We're called to pray at all times. We're called to pray at all times. We see already in verse number 18 that the scripture tells us this. It says, look, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer request and stay alert. So we're called to pray at all times in the spirit. Quick glance at this text and you find prayer is mentioned four times over and over. Pray, 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 pray. He's making the point to us. Essentially, Paul is saying to us, look, when you don't know what else to do, when you know what to do, when your things are going right, things are going bad, pray and pray some more. So he makes the point that prayer in the midst of the battle is what we're called to do. Now, many faith backgrounds pray. I mean, you know, you look at uh, somebody who's in a different type of faith background. Yes, they pray. But the question would be is this. What makes us talking about prayer so uniquely and distinctively different than maybe somebody else saying, well, they pray? Well, I can tell you what it is. It all depends on who you are praying to. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Spirit. If we follow the logic of what I'm saying, and Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him, that means the only prayer the Father is hearing is those who are his and are praying in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, you say, well, what about all these other people that are praying? Well, guess what? It's just like somebody who doesn't know the Lord. This is why we evangelize. This is why we bring the gospel. Why? Because we want people to know the truth that the only way to the Father is through the Son. I want to tell you something. The universe doesn't hear your prayers. 
The ancestors are not hearing your prayers. All these things, are, they're not hearing your prayers. So you can be praying and all you're doing is you're just throwing up something and words into the air. No, when you pray, you're praying to the Father in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Spirit. And the Lord is hearing you when you pray. In fact, in John 16, 26 and 27, it says this. On that day, you were asked, look what he says, in my name. He says, look, and I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. He's making a point. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Jesus is making a very clear point. Look, you, you can come to the Father on your own because your relationship with me, because you love me and because the Father loves you. The Father loves those who loves the Son. You love me, your relationship with me, then guess what? You come to the Father on your own. That means, guess what? You don't have to call the prayer line to have your prayers. I want to tell you something. I don't mind praying for anybody. In fact, you can call me day or night. I'll pray for you. In fact, we're going to the lobby. You, a lot of times I'll talk to people. Let's pray about it right now. My prayers, though, are not more powerful than yours. Hold on, Pastor, I thought you had a beeline to the throne room. We're priests in the kingdom. You have the same beeline that I have. Well, hold on, Pastor, I thought Bishop so-and-so, Apostle so-and-so told me that they were more anointed than me because where they stand on the stage and the anointing is dripping on them. And then if I get under them, the anointing will drip on me. That is just pure rubbish. It's fanciful. But it sounds so deep. And we love that guy. Ooh, yeah, Bishop Sorcerer. Ooh, I just get under his anointing, and then the anointing is going to be on me. First John says, those who are filled with the Spirit, that's the ones who are anointed by God. You don't need Bishop, Apostle, whoever, so and so to pray for you. I, I got to get to the Bishop. If I get to the Bishop, then. And when they hear me, then God will hear, God will hear you just the same. The scripture tells us this right here, right? He's talking to the disciples. He's saying it to them very clearly. And so we can apply to us as well on that day. What day? When, well, he's gone. He's resurrected. He's back where he was sent from. He says, on that day you will ask my name, and I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Why? You can ask. You can ask. Some of us may not feel worthy enough to ask. But worthiness is not a prerequisite to answered prayer. We pray in the sufficiency of Christ. Christ is the sufficient one. So we stand boldly asking in his name, not in our sufficiency. That should be good news for somebody. Somebody keeps saying, oh, Pastor, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to. How to. You can open up the book of Psalms and just read through it and just pray those. Or if you don't have the right words, you can just say, Lord, help. Notice Paul says to the Christian who is armored up, who is put on the armor of Christ, you have the armor, righteousness, the word, the, the gospel, truth. And he says, essentially, brothers and sisters, pray. Yeah, the question is, when should we pay, pray? Well, the text tells us when to pray. At all times. At all times. We pray when the battle is heavy. 
We pray when it's light. We pray when the enemy is coming on all sides or when things are going well. Why? Well, we're in relationship with the Lord. We follow the example of our Lord Jesus. We pull away to spend time with the Father. Prayer is a part of that. When you're pulling aside to just spend time with him, you're communicating with the Lord. You're allowing God to speak clearly to your heart as you're praying. He's changing the way you're looking at things and even how you're feeling about things. Why? Because you're humbling yourself before him. Prayer here literally means to pray, to speak to, or to make requests of God, to pray, to speak to God, to ask God. Prayer is supposed to be an ongoing, steadily walk in our lives. We're ready to stand firm against the evil one when we pray. We fall on our knees and we're allowing God to strengthen us so that when we stand, we're firm. We're falling before the Lord because we're standing firm and, and praying to him, being prepared for the attacks of the evil one. When we're in our defensive stance, we're standing firm and we're standing in the Lord and we're praying. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 19 says this, Rejoice always, pray what? Constantly. Rejoice always, pray constantly. You say, what is expected of me as a Christian? To rejoice always. To pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Many of us are maybe asking, what is God's will? Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything. You say, how do I know I'm doing God's will? There you go. I'm rejoicing. I'm praying. I'm seeking the Lord. And he says, don't stifle the spirit. Meaning, don't live in a way where you're living contrary to the spirit of God. You live in a manner that is in line with God's will. So prayer always shows our dependence on the Lord. It depends solely on his help and in this walk of life in the battle that we face. So this exhortation to watch and pray was really a part of the early Christian tradition, which derives from the teaching of Jesus who encouraged his disciples to be vigilant in the light of temptation. So how do we fight temptation? Through prayer. How do we stay vigilant? We remain ready. We remain vigilant until the day Christ returns. Yet he says, pray, though, in the Spirit. Now, we only have to look at the whole text of the Bible to see what he's saying there. Now, here's the thing. Remember, the Bible can interpret itself, right? So you look at the text, and then you go look at the whole of Scripture and see what it's saying. You look at the context. Paul here is not talking about a specific type of praying, essentially as people love to kind of go there and say, see, it's telling you to pray in tongues. This is not what it's teaching here at all. In fact, if you go look throughout the whole of the Scripture, it talks about praying in the Spirit. It has nothing to do with tongues at all. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this lovingly as I can. There are not classes of Christians. They're just Christians. If you are born again, you are filled with the Spirit. Now recognize, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who see differently on some of these things, and that's fine. There shouldn't be any disunity. It's just a difference of how you view these things. But when you cross the line for me, it's when you start telling people, 
God will only hear your prayer if you pray a specific way. The Bible doesn't teach that, and neither did Jesus. He understands your English quite well. He understands the groanings of your heart quite well, too, as we're going to see in a little bit as well. He has given you sufficiently enough what you need to pray to him in your time of need. So just pray. Don't let people get you all in the wise. Like, oh, see, look, if you have this gift, then God will really hear you. I was in the dollar store the other day, and a lady was in front of me, two ladies in front of me. And they were like, see, if you pray this way, then Satan can't, he can't stop your prayers from going up. I will tell you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, the Lord is well capable of hearing your prayers and your, and your native language. Sufficiently more than anything else. Pray. Trust the Lord. Rest in his sufficiency. Why am I saying this? It's because, sadly, because of how things kind of happen, especially in the sinfulness of humanity, we love to set up hierarchical structures in the midst of each other so that we can say, ha ha, look how greater I am than you. When Jesus says, look, the greatest of you must be the least. Now, if you don't know my back, I'm not even going to go into that, but if you don't know my background, you wouldn't understand where I'm coming from and why I'm preaching like this to help you out. Because sadly, there are many Christians who feel their relationship with Jesus is deficient based on how you give, based on how you pray, based on what gift you feel like you have. I've walked through that trash before. I've walked through the deficient Christianity, being a part of a church that all the times you were never measuring up. You can never pray good enough. You can never give good enough. You can never do this. You know what ends up happening? Christ becomes not enough. When Christ is sufficient, that's all you're resting in. He's greater than. He's, he's more sufficient than all these things. So guess what? Even on your worst day, if you don't measure up, he already has. Pray, my brothers and sisters. This Bible, the text here, when it says pray in the spirit, is essentially showing us that our help in prayer, it is God, the Holy Spirit, who helps us to pray. He is our comforter. He is our God. He fills us with power and points us constantly to Christ. And he also helps us in our time of need in prayer. Well, what then does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, this is not some esoteric, special type of prayer. When we pray in the Spirit, we are praying in the Spirit's power in the will of God. When we're born again, we're filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God makes His abode in our hearts and our lives. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit then makes intercessions for us as well when we don't know what to pray. So to pray in the Spirit is to pray in the power of the Spirit, to pray in line and in step with the Spirit as a follower of Christ. It is praying to the Father in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Spirit. How do we know this? Romans 8, 26, 27, the Bible interprets itself. You can read for yourself on the Scripture what it's saying. Romans 8 tells us very clearly, in the same way, the Spirit, who are we talking about? God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. He's talking God the Holy Spirit here also helps us in our what? Weaknesses. 
Now, let's just check for a second. Let's just check the pulse of the congregation here. Anybody here ever feel weak at times? I, I, know, I know our real spirit feel, folks. You know, I know y'all never get weak. You know, you're always on the mountaintop and it's, you know, you, you eat Superman Wheaties. You know, you, I get it. I've been there before. I get it. I've been there before. You know, Superman, you know, he doesn't have to lift weights. He just goes in the sun and just, you know, soaks up all the rays. I've been there. That fake Christianity that always everything's all good. You're always full of power. You never get weak. You never get sick. You never struggle. You never have anything like that. Your prayer life is on 110. I've been there. And too, it caused me to walk through a whole year and a half of actual depression. Ooh, come on now. Come on. Can I, I, can I just preach to us normal folks in here? Let me just talk to y'all for a second. Man. If, if you're on the other end, just tune out for a second. Now, we'll, we'll bring you back into the message later on, you know. For those who get weak, because we don't know what to pray for. As we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. I love this. He says he intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. Who's making the groanings? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is making inexpressible groanings. Why? He's interceding for us. And he who searches the heart knows the mind of who? The Spirit. Because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You're sitting there saying, God, I don't know what to pray. And the Spirit of God is interceding for you, and you don't even know it. Well, you see, see you're, I got it, Lord. And the Lord's like, you don't got it. How could you have it? You don't even know what to pray for. So guess what? I have to gird you up that way, too. I got to gird you up in your salvation. Got to gird you up in your day-to-day life. Got to gird you up in girding your tongue. Got to gird you up in walking with me. Now I got to gird you up in prayer. What else you need? Lord, I need all of you. Notice the Bible says to us groaning, to, to groan or to sigh as a result of deep concern. Today, the Holy Spirit groans with us and feels the burdens of our weaknesses and suffering. I love this, though. The Spirit does more than groan, as one commentator said. He prays for us in his groaning so we might be led into the will of God. Isn't this more spiritual than what you've been kind of leaning into? You're trying to muster it up all on your own, and the Spirit of God says, I'm the paraclete, not you. I'm the one who you lean on, not on yourself. I love this. He prays for us in his groaning so that we might be led into the will of God because we don't always know God's will. We don't always know how to pray, but the Spirit intercedes so that we might live in the will of God in spite of suffering. The Spirit shares the burden. Even when in our own groanings, in our own, we don't know the, the, the struggle we're having, the Spirit understands. He's our comforter. 
He is the one who we lean on. And see, here's the thing. I, I get accused of this a lot. Oh, you came out of one background, so you're just forsaken the Holy Spirit. No, I've actually embraced more of the Holy Spirit. I've actually embraced the doctrinal integrity of, of his work and his power and leaning on him and relying on him. Oh, no, I, I, I need more of the Holy Spirit. Not the stuff I was doing. Trying to be superhero Christian every turn of every facet. Trying to heal people on my own. You know, the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me, and never forget this, I was in a room with a, a, a lady at the church I was a part of, it was a glass room, you could see in it, and anybody could see everything in there, and I remember praying for her, and I remember she, she, she needed a miracle, and I remember being told and taught so much, if you're filled with the Spirit, guess what, you can heal people just like Jesus healed and all this kind of stuff. And I remember this lady a miracle. And I remember sitting there saying, I cannot provide that which you need. But everything in me, because of where I was working and the job I had, said, you better tell her she's going to be healed. I tell you, when your job is on the line, there's money on the line, what you going to do? Either you're going to lie or send your conviction from the word. I couldn't do it no more. I couldn't do it anymore because I started reading the word for myself. And I began to say, you know what? I cannot guarantee you healing. But I know one who's sufficient. I know one who will love you through. And I know one who we can pray to and trust in. That guess what? Yes, can God heal? He sure can. Will he? I don't know. But I can tell you, you can trust him through your suffering. And if he does heal you, praise God. If he doesn't, he's still sufficient and good. Because if you're his and you go on to be with him, guess what? He is glorified. If you're healed right now, he is glorified. So trust in his sufficiency right now. So let's pray to the Father in Jesus' name, in the power of the Spirit. And can I tell you what happened? Not too shortly after that, I will find myself right here in New Orleans. What do we do then? Here's our next point. We pray and intercede for the saints. Pray and intercede for the saints. What does the Bible say? Look, we pray at all times in the spirit with prayer requests and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. Not only do we pray all the time, but we can pray all types of prayer. Now, the question would be, isn't there just one way to pray? Well, we have an entire book of scriptures filled with prayer. We have laments. We have praise. We have intercessions, we have groanings, there's all sorts of different ways to pray and come before the Lord. Yet he says we shouldn't just pray for our own selves, but we should intercede for the saints. Notice it says we should intercede for the saints, not to the saints. You see that there, right? It's, it's a big difference. It says we should intercede for the saints, not to the saints. When he says saints here, he's talking of living, breathing believers. We are the saints of God. That's just another uh, uh, way of saying, another synonymous way of saying believers, Christians, the called out ones. So we are called to intercede 
for other believers all over the known world. Even as he writes this, he's saying, look, pray for those who are facing persecution. Pray for those who are walking through spiritual warfare and being attacked by the devil. So the saints of God, they need prayer and they need it now. So prayer is not just for us personally, but it's for intercession as well. Well, we reflect on Jesus and how he lived, and we're called to live out our life like his. This second word, petition or supplication there, really originally denoted a, a lack or a need. And this is an entreaty or a, a coming to the Lord. And it, when we look, find it in the New Testament, it's essentially talking about prayer. So we intercede with supplications. We're praying with specific needs. We're praying to the Lord. Hebrews 5, 7 tells us this. During his earthly life, talking about Jesus, he offered prayers and appeals or supplications, specific appeals to the Lord. Notice how he prayed with what? Loud cries and what? Tears. Loud cries. Now, let's not say that all our time in prayer has to be like that, but we see how our master prayed. Why? The deep groaning. The deep despair for those who are lost, right? For his disciples, for those who are praying. He appealed with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. For the kingdom citizen, we're not asleep at this time. We're alert, praying and making intercession. This is what the Bible tells us. Why? Well, the days are evil. And guess what? We're alert. We're wise to the schemes of the devil. And being alert, we stay vigilant in prayer, seeking the Lord, praying his kingdom come, praying his will be done, praying for our brothers and sisters all across the world that they may endure until he comes. See, understand this, my brothers and sisters. When we think about even the end times, Right? We're not necessarily just waiting for tribulation to happen. Let me in a new preface by saying this. You gotta remember, reading the Bible, you gotta read in context. We do realize when certain books of the Bible were written, Revelation, uh, I mean, first Timothy, Second Timothy, even uh, Ephesians, all these things, this was a lot of times tumultuous times of tribulation for believers. I mean, last time I checked, there's nobody literally being lit on fire to light the roads for people to walk down. That was the reality for the first century church. So when Paul writes about praying for the saints who are enduring, they're facing governmental structures that are saying, we will literally kill you. And they were killing them. And Paul says, look, Remain steadfast, remain alert, and pray prayers of intercession, seeking the Lord. So your brothers and sisters will stand firm. Even today, we see the reality of the idea, the reality, just like it was in the first and second century, Antichrist are even now among us. Even historically, when we look at historical Christianity, Christians looking at Nero as being a very much anti-Christ of their time, right? So throughout history, Christians have endured a lot of things. And Paul says, remain steadfast, remain alert, pray to the Lord. 
The question for us, each one of us, my brothers and sisters in the Lord, when was the last time you prayed for a brother and sister by name and cried out to the Lord on their behalf? That you made intercession for them and you prayed for them. But what about this, even for all of us? Do you know a a missionary? Do you know someone in a persecuted church that you can be praying for that is actually facing real persecution for their faith? I mean, let's just be honest, my brothers and sisters in the Lord. I know many of us have all kind of different opinions on all the stuff that's going on. I get it. This is not the time to even discuss that. But here's the reality for us. When you're sitting back with your feet up watching your Hulu and Netflix... When you're putting gas in your car to come to church, when you're riding down the highway listening to your Christian music, blaring it loud, raising your hands, lifting your hands, doing all that kind of stuff, and then somebody disagrees with you on Facebook, that's not persecution. I mean, Grandma Matilda, who doesn't like you anymore because you're following Jesus, but she still cook you a meal every Sunday, and, you know, y'all just not as close, that's not persecution. Your political party not being in office the way you want is not persecution. True biblical persecution is when your life is on the line for worshiping Jesus. And I hate to say it for the American church, and I hate to say it. Here's the thing. If true persecution really hit the shores of our land, I'm talking about real biblical persecution. I hate to say it, but it looks like our pews would be empty. Why do we say that? It's because we have been spoiled for so many years. And when the tide now begins to change culturally, we don't know what to do. Well, I tell you what to do. The Bible says remain alert and pray. Steadfast in the Lord. I love this. As Philip Brooks said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his highest willingness. To pray, to go to the Lord, to trust him. Why? This is all, it all ties in. Why? It's my last point. Pray the gospel is made known. See, you know, you know, you hear a message about prayer. You, all right, pastor, just tell me, what, what's my seven steps to breakthrough? Tell me the seven ways I can pray so that I can see this miracle manifest in my life. What if your prayer was meant to go forward so that the gospel could advance? Would you pray? I mean, honestly, would you pray if it wasn't about you and it was more about the gospel? It's not saying we don't pray for ourselves. It's not, that's not what the text is telling us either, because we do pray for ourselves. We do pray for our needs. We do pray and trust God and ask God for the things we need. But a big part of that is so that the gospel could be advanced. Notice the text calls us to pray individually, to petition and ask the Lord. But yet, we're called to pray out of obedience. We're called to pray out of humility. And we pray to the Lord in the midst of the battle because our help comes from him. Romans 12, 12 says this, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. One reason we're called to pray is so that the gospel will advance. 
You know, I once heard someone say this. If God would answer all my prayers, would they only benefit me or be for his kingdom as a whole? While, yes, we should pray for our needs and our personal needs, we must remember that our prayer for others are instrumental as well. This one concept here shows us what it is really about. The spiritual warfare is really about. It's really about the gospel. The enemy is seeking to attack the kingdom of God and the people of God for what purpose? That the gospel of Jesus Christ would be hindered. So we shouldn't forget that in the beginning of the letter, Paul prays this for them. He has a prayer in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. He says this, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Isn't that what we want every person to have? Isn't that what we want and desire for every person to know? To know the Lord. To know the glorious Father, to know this wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So our prayer should be the same. We need to pray that the good news of Christ is made known in our community, but also in the world. You want to say, what is the greatest asset we have here at the church? What is the greatest asset Connect Church of Algiers brings to this community and to New Orleans as a whole? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But see, we've been lied to. We think we have the best feeding ministry and we have financial empowerment and we have all these programs and all this. That's our asset. No, our asset is to be the church. To proclaim that which no one else can. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're but a link in the chain of other faithful churches in the city doing the same thing. And we should pray that our tribe increases. We should pray that our tribe increases. And thankfully that we're not the only church preaching the gospel. We should pray that more churches are preaching the gospel. And there are other churches around us that are doing that. And we should be praying for them as well. Think of this. Paul loved Jesus. He desired the gospel to be known. Now I want to say this is my last point. The last point of this point. Here's the thing. Paul says this. In Acts 25, 11, he says, if then I did anything wrong and am deserving of death, I'm not trying to escape death. But if there's nothing to what these men accuse me of, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Now, see, in our American mind, we're thinking like, yeah, Paul, that's right. Rally on the steps. Fight for your rights, Paul. Do what you got to do. Yes. Show the government who's boss. Paul wasn't American, and Paul was more kingdom than he was Roman. Paul appealed to Caesar for one purpose, to be an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul willingly went into chains for one purpose, and it wasn't to win his case. It wasn't to prove his point. It wasn't to say, let me speak to your manager. No, Paul went into chains for the sake of one thing alone. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. St. Timothy 8, 2, 8 and 10 says it. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect. 
Notice Paul desired gospel clarity because he says in the text there, so look, he says, look, pray that he would have boldness so that the mission of the gospel we proclaim. Why? For I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Paul wanted to have boldness, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with so much false teaching in the world, in our culture, this should be our prayer as well. Lord, may your word be made known to all who hear. Lord, may the gospel truth outshine the darkness and false teaching that people so easily take in. And we should pray this way for our local community as well. We should say, Lord, let my prayer be the thing that takes part in global missions and local missions. Why? Because when I'm praying for missionaries, I'm praying for the gospel to advance. We're praying his kingdom come in a world that is broken and dark. In Paul's life, before it was ended in martyrdom, God answered this prayer over and over again. How do we know this? 2 Timothy 4, 17 and 18. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you willingly go into chains for the gospel? The real question for each one of us, would we willingly suffer shame, abuse, mistreatment for the sake of the gospel. How do we live this out? Well, is prayer a natural part of your daily Christian walk? Remember, it's not about condemnation at all. So those in Christ, they are not condemned at all. But all of us thinking, Lord, what does a daily prayer life look like for me? Sure, I can tell you, like, this is how I pray and this is how this one prays. But for you individually, what does it look like for you to pray, to spend time with the Lord, to talk to him? What about this one? Who can you intercede for? Who can you intercede for? Who do you know, number one, that maybe is a a believer, they're on the front lines of the battle, and you need to intercede for them? You can pray for them and, and pray for God to use them in a mighty way. Maybe they're a missionary. Maybe they're a church planner. Maybe they're somebody like that. You, you say, you know what? I want to be praying for that person and praying for them that they will be bold in the gospel. But also praying for those who don't know Christ. What about this one? Are you praying that the gospel will spread? I get it, my brothers and sisters. This is tumultuous times. But if we're honest historically, Christians have always lived in tumultuous times. Always. We're not special. I don't know why we're, like, we think we're so special. We really do. Like, you know, American Christianity, we really think we are the creme de la creme. And I, I love, I, I'm an American Christian. I love the church. I love, I love everything about what we have, and it's a blessing. But my brothers and sisters, we are not that special. We have an abundance, but yet our churches are empty. We have an abundance, but we make no disciples. We have an abundance, and yet the rates of premarital sex, pornography, all these things are just as high in the house of the Lord as they are anywhere else. 
And yet we want to strut about as we're a peacock and say, look at us. And yet the sad reality is in the American culture, in American Christian culture, it's not just singling out just one church or the next. We've exported a false gospel to the world and say, look at us. Whoa, I see your works. But there's a filthy rag. Could we get on our knees and pray that the gospel, the true biblical gospel of Jesus Christ would spread in our city, in our world, in our community for the glory of God? And are you praying for God to use you? Lord, use me. Lord, use me tomorrow. Lord, use me when I go to the grocery store. Lord, use me when I go to the bank. God, use me when I go to my job. Lord, use me to talk more about Jesus than COVID. Lord, use me to talk more about Jesus in politics. Use me to talk more about Jesus and all the other things that may come up in my way and all the things that may be happening. Lord, use me for your glory. And God, use me where I am uncomfortable. Because then I have to rely on your spirit. Oh, God, we need your Holy Spirit. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us again. Blow wind into our cells once again that we could reflect and shine your glory in a world that is dark and dying. God, forgive us what we've constantly act like we're the tip of the spear, Lord, as if we're the best thing since sliced bread. God, forgive us. Forgive us, God, where we've acted like we have it all together in living in the lap of luxury. Many of us are so depressed and despondent because we're not focused on you. Dear God, you've given us all that we need. And so, Lord, Tomorrow, when we leave from this place, God, as we leave here, God, would you help us to just glorify you? First in our homes, God. In the world that we serve. God, I thank you for your grace that is so sufficient to meet us where we are. And for some of us, all we can utter in prayer at this moment is help. But thank you that you hear that too. God, we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name. I want to challenge you to one thing. Every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, the fellowship hall is open for you to come and just pray. It's nothing formal. It's nothing fancy. It's just open. You can pray. Pray for the service. You pray for salvations. You can just pray. I want to challenge you to find three people this week that you know, don't know the Lord. Write their names down and begin to just pray for them. You say, well, Pastor, if I pray for them, what if nothing happens? Well, what if something does happen? Trust God. 